0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Nature's Finest, your destination for hiking and recreation destinations. This is a particularly special episode, actually, the very first episode where I'm going to talk about a park with you for the very first time. I'm very excited about it. I can't tell all of you how grateful I am that you're listening in, and I hope that you'll be along for the journey for a while because... I really don't plan on going anywhere. There's so many parks in the area that I'm going to be covering that I want you guys to know about that how could I possibly stop. So I really hope that this is the beginning of a very long journey where I am able to put a lot of different destinations on the map for you guys and give you some trips to plan and some really exciting adventures for you and those close to you. My name is Garrett, and I am your host. I'm really happy to be introducing you to one of my very favorite state parks today. I'm going to be telling you all about the park regionally known as the Little Smokies. This little pocket of Indiana is a beautiful haven for hiking, biking, and more. Today, we're going to talk about a very special place, Brown County State Park, just outside of Nashville, Indiana. First, I'll give you some overview information, a very brief history, and then I'll get into what amenities and recreation activities it has, and after that, I'll get into the trails. Um, I'm sure that's what most everyone's going to be in it for, and they have a lot to offer in that department. At that point, you'll also get my thoughts on the park as a whole, and how I experienced the trails and the different amenities that the park offered, and... I'll get to really dive into why I think Brown County is truly one of the best state parks I've ever been to and why you should go. You never know. Maybe your next adventure ends up being at Brown County now, just because of what you hear on this podcast. I'm excited to dive into everything, so let's get started. So now I'll talk at you just a little bit about uh, the humble beginnings of brown county state park and a shout out to browncountystatepark.net for having this information handy for me and for everybody on their website they're not the official state park website but they have a lot of great information and it serves as a great kind of support or backup in case they you might have a question that isn't answered on the brown county state park official website which i doubt because it's pretty comprehensive but anyways Um, Brown County State Park first opened to the public back in 1929, and throughout the 1930s, the CCC Company 1557 went throughout the park planting trees, building picnic shelters, and they even built a lake, which is moderately sized, about 17 acres or so, and I'll talk about that later on when I'm talking about recreation activities. But there's also a fire tower. Now, this was actually used back in the day, of course, before you had modern technology to detect fires and, and and all that but this is a really unique opportunity to explore historic structure and kind of get a scenic view of the area and I'll talk about that also later but uh, even to this day they let you climb to the top of this fire tower and I encourage you to do so and take a picture uh, it's a really great view and it's a really unique experience that you can't get a ton of places nowadays, but another piece of history can be found on the Friends Trail, which I'll also be talking about later, and it's the original booth that was at one of the gates, one of the entrance gates, and it dates back to the 30s, I believe, and it's a really unique experience to walk up to a booth that people used to pass by to enter the park almost 100 years ago. You wouldn't really think that's an overly unique thing, but when you really think about it, the fact that that's been preserved for so long, it's pretty interesting. About the park itself, uh, Brown County State Park uh, covers just north of 15,000 acres, making it the largest state park in Indiana. Within that park, there is a network of hiking trails, a network of hiking and biking trails, and a network of horse trails. More on those in a few minutes. Beyond that, there are many other activities and amenities within the park. There are picnic areas all throughout the park, complete with picnic tables, charcoal grills, and some even have restroom facilities. You have a choice between picnic areas that have scenic overlook views, or if you're looking for something a little bit more private, shaded, wooded, you have those available as well. Provided you have a license, there is fishing within the state park at two different lakes, one of which is about 17 acres. There's also playgrounds for the kids, there's tennis courts, there's plenty of uh, outdoor activities to do. Lodging options are plentiful also at Brown County State Park. There are traditional lodge-style rooms at Abe Martin Lodge. There are simple cottages for a more back-to-basics experience if you're looking for something simple to escape the modern world, but you're not quite ready to pitch a tent. There's also more well-equipped, larger cottages. They'll have more modern amenities, more space. It'd be better for a family that wants to have those modern touches, but kind of in a more remote setting, if you will. There's also four campgrounds, and one of these is exclusively for those who are bringing their horses to the park. Yes, it's an equestrian campground. Not a whole lot of those in this region. I'm from around the Cincinnati area, I get out to plenty of Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, and even Virginia state parks. I haven't run into this too much, so that's a really interesting option for people who want to bring their horse, get it out on the trail, do a nice horseback ride. Uh, It can be a fun time if you're into that. Of course, you have the other three campgrounds that will accommodate anything from a tent to a large RV or camper. I believe there's even a few pull-through spaces, so it might be, if you're lucky, you might be able to get one that you don't have to back in, which is always nice. I know I'm not a fan of backing in anything larger than a mid-size SUV, so to everyone out there driving a big old bus-size RV, much respect. These campgrounds also have a mixture of primitive and modern sites meaning you can get pretty much just a plot of dirt or you can also get sites that have electricity off the top of my head I believe water was a community thing so you'll go up towards the shower house and fill up from a, a community pump but they do have potable water on site and so you don't have to worry about that There's also shower houses at every campground, and one campground, the Buffalo Ridge Campground, has a camp store that'll have all your essentials, the milk, the eggs, the bread, chips, I think they even had hot dogs and some breakfast meats, and also toiletries, firewood, ice, beverages, it's Pepsi products, as of the last time I was there, which was a week or two ago, I recorded this in early August. And that store even has a few souvenirs, so you can kind of find something that you you like to remember the trip by. And the prices were pretty reasonable, uh, about what you'd expect for, you know, the fact that the park store there was about the only stop for a, about 15 minutes in either direction. There's a few gas stations just outside the park, and if you go down towards Nashville, about five miles, maybe six miles. There's a grocery store, and there's a a couple of fast food restaurants. But it's pretty convenient being right there on the campground and being able to walk if you're on that campground or the neighboring campground, which I believe was the Taylor Ridge campground, and just not having to go that far for any supplies that you might have forgotten. Prices for lodges and cottages are always varying a little bit. It's about what you would expect usually for the season, but there's so much variability, especially since the pandemic started with weekdays, weekends, holidays, uh, off-season, peak season. It really just depends. But the campgrounds are always pretty consistently, depending on what amenities you want and what time of the year or time of the week it is, you can expect campgrounds to start in the teens. And when you're in the teens, you're talking – weekday, not peak season, you know, just, you know, not bare bones, not busy, and it can get up to the mid-30s a night. They do offer weekly rates for anybody looking for a more extended stay, and there's plenty in the area to do, especially if you're a hiker or a, a mountain biker. There's not mountains, but there's plenty of opportunities for you to get the mountain bike out. So, They do offer a weekly rate for that. However, uh, for those of you who may not want to stay directly in the state park, there are uh, plenty of options. You don't have any shortage of options outside of the park. There is a KOA just down the road, I want to say five miles to the east, and I've stayed there. It's very nice. There are an uh, overabundance of hotels in Columbus and Edinburgh, Indiana, which is about 20... 25 minutes at the most east, just depending on if you hit any traffic or not, which is pretty rare, but it's a two lane highway. And if anything happens, if anybody needs to, you know, turn left or stop for a school bus, everybody stops. And in Nashville, there is, I want to say, three or four hotels. And I've heard good things about all of them, but I've heard spectacular things about the cottages and the lodge. That are in the state park. I haven't had the opportunity yet to stay in either, but I've heard great things, and I would say based on the reviews and what I've heard, you will not be disappointed. I've been in the lodge; I just haven't stayed there overnight. Uh, from what I've seen, it is very clean, very well kept. Uh, Indiana Park Service really has a lot of pride in their parks. I've been to three or four of their parks now. And they're all just so clean from the random trailhead bathrooms all the way back to the lodge and the restaurants. They're always so clean. It's almost a wonder, you know, with the staffing shortages and everything that they've undergone since COVID. And it's been bad with them. It's been bad with everybody. But they really do a good job keeping all of their facilities clean. I do always try to encourage people to stay at the state park because even... If the, even if that cottage was you know, $200 a night and you thought you could get one from a private party for $50 less, well, that $50 and really that whole $200 is going back to the state park to maintain that facility and to pay its employees. So I do always encourage people to try and stay at the state park if they can and if they want to and if there's availability because you definitely want to see that money go back into the park. Now I want to talk about accessing the park, getting to it, and just what's around the park, because if you're a part of a bigger group or a a family and there's quite a bit of variety and everybody's interests, then it'll be nice to know what's around that you can do after a a nice day of hiking, you know, where can you get a, a good pizza or where can you do a little bit of souvenir shopping or just go on a shopping spree after your trip's done if that's what you want to do, because Brown County's a big enough place where if you just want to go in the woods and stay in the woods, you can do that. Absolutely no problem. you got 15,000 acres all to yourself and, of course, your fellow hikers. But in my family, there's some of us that really love to hit the trail, and there's some of us that love to do that. But after dinner, instead of going back out there, maybe we'll go shopping because that's just what they like to do. And I'm always just along for the ride, right? So I don't have an issue with that at all. And so it's always nice to get familiar with the area and not just the state park or national park or whatever. Because you definitely want to know that this park genuinely does have something for everybody. The area around the park, I should say. So uh, getting to Brown County State Park is not a huge challenge because you have uh, several highways that pass by. Interstate 65 runs north-south, connecting Indianapolis and Louisville. And Columbus is going to be right in between the two. And like I said earlier, Columbus is about 20 minutes east of the park. So you get off there. You get a pretty good preview of what the amenities are in Columbus. And there's plenty to do. There's plenty to eat. There's plenty of places to stay there. It's a great little town. Um, They're actually well-known regionally for their architecture. If you look around, you'll see plenty of strange sculptures and buildings, and it's a really unique experience. So check that out if you have the time. But also running through the Columbus area is Indiana State Routes 7, 9, and 11. So if you're more of a backroads person, you can take those and eventually find your way to Columbus. U.S. Route 31 passes through there. Indiana 46 runs east-west. I usually take Indiana 46. It's a beautiful just farmland highway you can tell it used to be like the backbone of that little corner of indiana before interstate 74 went in because they right they run right along each other parallel and you get a really cool laid back look at the indiana farmland which is really unique because on the highway you're just blasting by it at seventy-five mile an hour, trying to get past that semi truck or you know, just trying to keep up with traffic and you get such a more laid back take on the heartland when you take the state routes or the uh even the old US highways in my opinion. So I always encourage people to do that because in Indiana, um a lot of times you'll be on a state highway or a US highway and find that the speed limit is actually almost as much as the interstate. So in the case of 46, um, it's usually 55 mile an hour until you're like passing through a town or a school zone. And 74 going the same way is only about 15 miles an hour more. So yeah, you can save some time by taking the interstate, but I always think it's worth it to pass through the charming little towns and see the farmland in a different way than you've ever seen it before. It's probably also worth mentioning that Interstate 74 actually goes north of Columbus. It runs east-west, but once you get, to, once you get adjacent to Columbus, you're actually approaching Shelbyville, which is, I want to say, 45 to 60 minutes north. But if you need Interstate 74, you can take that to Greensburg and catch Indiana 46 there. And you'll still get a little taste, about a 35-ish minute taste of the farmland, driving through the farmland, like I was saying, at at a lower speed, taking it in, feeling a little bit less like you're a part of the hustle and more like you're a part of something simpler. It really is, in and of itself, a bit of a step back in time, because there's just really no other place you can go, in my opinion, where you see just this mix of flat cornfields and then off in the distance there's this grouping of trees just all to itself couldn't be more than 10 acres and 10 minutes later you're in this town that you could easily be back in the cornfields from in five minutes it's a truly unique experience it sounds boring on paper but it's a very unique experience one like I've never had before and being from kind of the gateway to the foothills I would say it's Very unique to have that feeling of wide open space because where I'm from, it's very hilly, very closed in, and that's nice. I love the rolling hills of Kentucky, but that wide open space is something that everybody should experience. Last but not least, U.S. Highway 421 also runs through Greensburg, which is about an hour east of Brown County State Park. So, like I said, plenty of options. You have a few Indiana state highways, you have a couple of U.S. highways, and you have two interstates. All great ways to see Indiana and ultimately reach your destination. But, of course, I have my favorites, and I will always encourage people to take the back roads. If you can, if you have the time, if this isn't just a quick one-night trip, uh, I definitely encourage you to do that. So now I'll get into the amenities a little bit. So, Brown County isn't just a park uh, to me. It's an entire region, if I'm being honest. So, I mentioned earlier that a lot of people call it the Little Smokies, and that lends itself to the illusion that the landscape creates, but it also kind of accidentally lends itself to the fact that, just like the Smokies has its own Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, there's kind of a similar setup in the Brown County area. So, just outside of Brown County, you have the town of Nashville, and it has a bunch of artisan shops, souvenir shops, and plenty of restaurants for breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner. Uh, There's even a barbecue food truck, which is fantastic. I recommend it to anybody. But you also have Columbus and Edinburgh, and they offer their own collection of more mainstream shopping experiences. So... Between the two, you get uh, Columbus, which has a nice little downtown area, has a a nice little pinch of nightlife, if that's what you want to call it. There's a few bars, and I think one of them does live music every now and then. And uh, Columbus also has a couple of strip malls that, you know, have that kind of TJ Maxx type stuff. And there's also a shopping mall there. It's actually right on 25th Street, if I remember correctly. And then you go up 10 minutes north of Columbus on either 65 or U.S. Highway 31. And there is a random, and I, re- I really do mean this, just out in the cornfields, there is a random shopping center. Just a massive just collection of places to shop. And it's really cool because you're out in the wide open space, like, I'm, like I've been saying, with all the cornfields and stuff. And right there, just sandwiched in between cornfields, is the Edinburgh Premium Outlet Mall, which has plenty of designer shops, and, and there's plenty of places to shop for, for you. There's something for everybody. And there's, right across from there, is a massive, and when I say massive, I can't even begin to tell you how big. I, I don't think massive does it justice. It's an antique mall, a big one. It's called Exit 76 Antique Mall. And you can see it from the highway. It is huge. So with all of that going on around you, you really can't run out of things to do. Even if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be here for a week. I can get out of the park for a minute. I'll go do some shopping. It's my spouse's birthday. I want to take them out for a nice dinner and some shopping. There is a restaurant right there, and they're not giving me anything for this. I really just need to recommend this place. If they happen to hear this, Great. If not, great. I'm recommending it anyway. There's a steakhouse right there by the outlet mall and by the antique mall. It's called Montana Mike's. And if you are within 10 miles of this area, go there. If you're within 20 miles of this area, go there. Just go there. That's all I'm going to say. The food is fantastic. Um, And some of you might be familiar with that name because it is a steakhouse chain, actually. But down here in Kentucky, we don't have that. And usually when I travel, I go further south, and I don't usually make it north. The Montana Mikes in Edinburgh, Indiana is actually the closest one to me. So I don't want to sound like I'm geeking out over a chain because there's some of you that might say there's one on every block, but where I'm from, there's not, and our steakhouses just aren't quite as good. Um, so definitely check that place out, especially if you're unfamiliar with it. If you are familiar with it, I could probably tell you enough to say that they probably do maintain the standard for the brand. It's always very clean, good staff. So if you're familiar with the joint, then you might find that this is your favorite location. So anyways, enough geeking out over the area. Um, I'm glad I told you about it because there might be somebody you're traveling with who wants to pay a visit to some of these locations, but I'm really here to tell you about the park. So let's shift gears and talk about the park and its trail systems and its leisure activities. I'm really excited to talk to you about this because there's so much to do in the park that depending on how much time you have, you might not even be able to get away to explore all the places I was just talking about. So, without any further ado, let's get started. So, Brown County really has three different trail systems. You've got one that's just for hikers, and then you've got one for biking, but cautious and considerate hikers are also welcome to use those trails. And the third is for horseback riding. The system of hiking trails is gonna amount to approximately 20 miles, Ranging from pretty easy trails to pretty rugged trails. Although there isn't really any real treacherous spot on any of the trails. Nothing is going to be overly taxing or feel like mountain climbing or anything like that. You're just not in that kind of area. Even the harder trails, you might say, are forgiving to an extent. There are ten trails numbered one through ten as well as two more, the Friends Trail and the Discovery Trail, and those trails are the ones that are exclusively for hikers. Beyond that, there are 13 biking trails covering about 30 miles. Those trails are lettered A through M. This will make it easier to tell if you're on a hike trail or a bike trail, and It'll make it easier if you're looking to do one activity or the other to find the trail using the trail markers and signs and to make sure you're staying on them. Like I said earlier, the biking trails are also able to be used by hikers, but keep in mind you may bump into a few bicyclists, and because it's kind of their territory, so to speak, I do always try to step off to the side and let them by. I know if I was on a bike, I would hate to have to slow down, lose my momentum, especially if there's a hill coming. The trails are generally not wide enough for two people, like a hiker going one way and a biker going the other, to pass by uh, simultaneously as if it was a road. So I, I always encourage people to be courteous about that and kind of respect their space because if you didn't want to run into them in the first place, there are 12 amazing hiking trails. The horse trails amount to 70 miles, believe it or not. And some of those trails are going to bump into the campground, if I understand correctly. I'm not much of a horse back riding type, but... The people I've run into who use those are very appreciative of them. That leads into the experience I've had at Brown County. So back in 2014, roughly, I went to Indianapolis with my dad. We were catching a AAA Indianapolis Indians game. But all of the hotels, and I do mean every single one, were booked up for a couple of events that were going on. I believe one was for the NRA. I don't know if I remember the other one off the top of my head. But both events really drew a crowd. And after getting tired of looking in next towns in varying directions, my dad decided to... Just go an hour out and see if he could find anything then. And he ended up going with a hotel in Columbus, Indiana, which, if you remember, is about 20 minutes east of Brown County State Park. He remembered having gone to what he called a tiny Gatlinburg years prior to the trip I'm telling you about. And he wanted to show me that town while we were in the area. That so-called tiny Gatlinburg turned out to be Nashville, the city right next door to the park. Nashville would end up becoming a frequent stop for me and my family for many years, and we generally go, even today, four to six times in a single year. By about 2018 or so, I was starting to really get into hiking. And the previous five years, about from 14 up to 18, we had noticed that there was a state park, Brown County, of course, and always kind of thought, hey, we should go there sometime. But up until about 2018, we never did. So we gave it a shot, just went in and checked it out, and we fell in love almost instantly. I remember driving for the first time through one of the entrance roads. And there was a historic covered bridge. And that bridge is still there. And it's a really cool experience. It, the bridge kind of greets you to the park, if you will, if you use that entrance. I believe that's the north entrance. And there's another entrance uh, also that is better suited for uh, heavy equipment and RVs and things like that, so keep that in mind if you visit. But if you don't have a camper or an RV or anything like that, if you just have a car or just like a minivan or a a small pickup truck, go through the covered bridge at the north entrance. It's really cool. And you get through to the other side of that covered bridge and you're just thrown into this beautiful hilly landscape. Something that I guess if you only think stereotypes about Indiana's landscape, you know, the flat cornfields and all of that, you can kind of get thrown off when you find a landscape like this that's got all these rolling hills and beautiful lush green plants and trees. But the feeling really does come over you, and to this day I still get that feeling every time I enter the park. There are a generous handful of trails that I have had on repeat for years, and because these trails are so amazing, I have yet to complete every trail in the park. I just keep going back to my favorites and mixing in a new one now and again. And I'd like to talk with you about the trails I've done. I've still covered a very generous amount of ground. I believe I've done all but just a couple miles of the hiking trails. And I've done uh, four to maybe six miles of the biking trails on foot. And my very favorite, this is the one I'm going to start with, my favorite trail in the entire park is called the Pine Loop. Pine Loop. Now, this is one of the bike trails, so I'm always careful, like I said earlier, I I like to be courteous, because it's not my territory, it's just territory that's being shared with me, is the way I view it, but it's worth the effort you put in being vigilant and on the watch for bikers, because if you hike it counterclockwise you encounter a fern garden just about halfway through, maybe a little more. And it's beautiful. It's on the side of a hill and it's just a bunch of little ferns. And it's it almost reminds me of something I saw down in southern Kentucky at one of the parks down there, Pine Mountain, I believe. And then you get about two-thirds of the way through counterclockwise. And... I really think this is a breathtaking section of the trail that you hit at that two-thirds mark or so, which would be about a mile and a third. This is uh, just about a two-mile trail. And what happens is you're walking down this very skinny dirt trail, and all of a sudden, the dirt underneath your feet becomes a bed of pine needles. You look up and all over around you. And you're in this little miniature forest of pine trees. You just don't know what to think. I know it sounds kind of simple on paper. But all of a sudden, you go from maples, ashes, pawpaw trees, to just almost exclusively pines. And some smaller evergreen plants, but mostly 30, 40, maybe even 50 foot tall pines have obviously been there for a very, very long time. And the air smells like pine. It smells like a a candle, almost. And there's more varieties of pine species than you could possibly count. It really is an experience like no other, especially given the area it's in. And the last time I think I saw a population of pine trees that dense in a small area, I was up in the White Mountains up in New Hampshire. And it's just a feeling absolutely like no other. The Pine Loop is a great warm-up trail if you're hiking or if you're on your mountain bike. While there's not a bathroom at the trailhead or necessarily too close nearby at a visitor center or anything like that, you get about a quarter mile into the trail, again, counterclockwise. And the trail brushes up against the restroom that is at the playground. There's like a playground slash picnic area. And so you have that convenience even though it might not be right at the trailhead it's only a a quarter mile maybe three-tenths of a mile into your hike and shout out by the way to the state park staff there at brown county for keeping every facility in the park to a very high standard of cleanliness even these trailhead bathrooms that just have window screens and wooden doors they're very clean always And I remember them telling us, somebody told us at some point back right about when the shutdown for the pandemic happened in 2020, that before the pandemic even became an issue, they had a regular rotation of staff cleaning every single bathroom on a regular basis. I can't remember if it was every couple hours or every hour It was intense, whatever it was, and it definitely showed anytime I needed a restroom facility. Anyways, uh, two other favorite trails of mine include Trail 10 and the Friends Trail. These are pretty close to each other, and there is the convenience of actually two restroom facilities right there. Um, This is where the fire tower is. There's a visitor center and uh, the fire tower, and there's a trailhead for a bike trail. There's a trailhead for Trail 10, and then off on the other side of the visitor center, there's the Friends Trail. So the visitor center has facilities, and then on the other side of the fire tower, kind of nestled back on the edge of the woods a little bit, there's uh, another facilities building. So, let's talk about Trail 10. This is definitely a more rigorous trail. It's a loop. It doesn't connect that I know of to any other trails in the hiking trail network. kind of stands alone. And in some spots, saying it's rigorous may seem like an understatement. While I wouldn't say it's an extremely difficult trail, there is definitely an uphill climb. And the trail can be a bit rugged at times. You lose and gain elevation throughout the trail. And no matter how you take the loop, you will go down and come back up at some point. Even the trail rating from Brown County State Park officials is rugged. And I think a beginner or someone who might be using hiking as a means of getting into better shape would agree with that difficulty rating. But experienced hikers should not find this trail to be too much of a challenge. It comes in at about two and a quarter miles. That's what the signs say. Although, my Apple Watch always seems to think the trail is a tiny bit longer. I would tend to believe that. It's never led me astray before. No matter the case... I do always leave the trail feeling like I've worked a little harder than two and a quarter miles worth. And my watch usually comes in a little closer to two and a half. If you take the loop straight at the intersection and come back around, I want to say a third of a mile to half a mile in, there's a really cool shelter with a fireplace. I believe there's places to sit. There may even be a table. And there's a bit of an overlook that gives you just a peak of the rolling hills way back there. But I would imagine in the fall, winter, and spring, that would be a nice place to warm up if there was a fire going. We've never tried that. I've always wanted to, but I wonder if you would need permits for that. I always encourage people to know the fire danger and to know if anything like that would require permits. Because parks are just worth a little bit more research. Anyways, the Friends Trail, which was made possible by the hard work of the Friends of Brown County is actually a very short, handicap-accessible trail. And while it's very short, it is a very scenic trail. It's beautiful. Coming around one side of it takes you to a scenic overlook that is absolutely astounding year-round. And... Between different weather conditions, cloud versus sun, different seasons, with the colors of fall, the gray gloom and lack of leaves in the winter, the lush green summers and springs. I don't think I've ever taken the same picture of that same overlook twice. And this is going back five years, four years. So I always encourage people to check that out. There are also benches to sit and just take it in for a while. It's a beautiful place to be for a few minutes or a half hour. I could stay there all day if I didn't have other things on my agenda. There's also an old booth from an entrance gate on this trail, dating back to the 1930s, I believe. And it's on display with an interpretive sign so you can read about it. If I remember correctly, this booth was used all the way until the 90s. Which is a true testament to the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But those are just a few trails I've been on and loved. Trails 2 and 3 are magnificent as well. Trail 7, which is the Ogle Lake Trail, is an absolute must-do. It's about a mile and a half, two miles. Goes along the perimeter of the 17-acre Ogle Lake, it's a classic, I do it every time I'm in the area, and at that lake, as well as Straw Lake, there is fishing, like I said earlier, provided you have a permit, and at Ogle Lake you'll also have picnic areas and restrooms, and I will say that trail, that Ogle Lake trail is never capable of disappointing you any time of the year, any season, On that note, I have actually been to Brown County State Park for every season. I can tell you that this park is very usable year-round, and it's actually open year-round, and this includes the campground. The weather is typical for this part of the Midwest. It's something I'm familiar with, living only two hours away from the park. The springs are warm and usually pretty rainy, The summers are pretty hot between the 80s, sometimes even hitting 100, 105 on the hotter days. Um, There's a lot less precipitation that time of year, so if you're a sunny day kind of person, late June into early September, perfect time to go. Falls are usually pretty mild and dry towards the beginning, getting more wet as you go, and winters it's just a mixed bag it's just whatever the Great Lakes send us honestly sometimes you get a lot of snow sometimes it's 50-60 degrees for a perspective I can say especially a lot of more touristy hikers and beginner level hikers have never had I would recommend going in January if you can stand the cold because if you can And it gets up to 30, 40 degrees depending on the day. You go out into the middle of the woods and you can see everything. There is nothing obstructing your view. And it's a truly unique experience. The colors, how see-through the forests and the wooded areas can be. It's something to experience for sure if you haven't done it before. I do it all the time now. I discovered it. I want to say back in either this past winter or the winter before back in 2020. But it's a truly unique experience. And in that area, like I said, the cold can be dangerous if you're out there wearing shorts and short sleeves. But with a good base layer and a winter coat and maybe something to cover your face... Most, if not all the time, you'll be fine. We have had sub-zero before, but a typical winter day in the the Midwest, in the heartland, is going to fall somewhere between upper teens to low to mid-20s for a low, and highs anywhere from around freezing to 50 degrees, which really isn't that bad when you think about it. There are areas that get a lot colder, so... If you're thinking about trying to get a new perspective on nature, check out Brown County in the winter. A little added bonus is it's a tiny bit less busy, so you'll kind of have the place to yourself. Truth be known, I really don't think there's a bad time to visit Brown County. That is, as long as you're hardy in most weather conditions. The perspective is so different from season to season that you can go anywhere from four to eight different times at different parts of the year and get four to eight different parks. It's very unique that way. I like to think a lot of parks are. But throughout the year, you can see all kinds of wildflowers and maples, sycamores, Pawpaw trees, yellowwood trees, just to name a few, do what they do best in the varying seasons of the year. One of the best for seeing colors would be fall, of course, because a lot of people like to see the colors change, but the summers are very lush and green there, so green, so many different shades of green, and splashes of color from different fruit trees and wildflowers and things, honeysuckle, really just adds to the bright and airy kind of feel or aura that it has. It's a, I've said it already in the episode, but it really is a truly unique experience and I'm willing to reuse the phrase because it's something I really do stand by with this park. Speaking of wildlife, plants and things, I'll go ahead and mention that uh, you don't really need to be that concerned about animals in the area. It's not bear country, you are a ways from bear country. There are some kind of pest animals, raccoons and things like that, but there's nothing that's really going to hassle you all that much. That said, keeping an eye out doesn't hurt, but really you're in the clear. Just spray yourself for mosquitoes, because there are mosquitoes, and a lot of them, especially by the lake. And keep an eye out for little snakes and spiders. They'll bite you, but I'd say 99% of them won't do you any harm, even if they do bite. Another added bonus of this park is that there's as many miles to drive on as there are to hike on. You get 20 miles of completely wooded, scenic, 25 to 30 mile an hour roads. And it's so much more than just a preview of what you get on the trails. I consider those roads to be an extension of the trails themselves because when you're done hiking and you get in your car and drive back to the lodge or drive home or whatever, you basically get to live out your hiking experience in the car. That's just how scenic it is on on these park access roads. It might sound like an obvious fact on paper, but The roads are much more than a preview of what you get on the trail. And these roads are where you find all the overlooks that you get in the park. There are, gosh, I want to say a minimum of five. And they're all throughout the park. And they all create this feeling that you are somewhere much more vast and high in altitude than it really is. And I remember saying one time upon arriving there, seeing these overlooks, if I'd been blindfolded and told I was in the Smokies or the Blue Ridge Mountains, I would have probably believed whoever would have told me that. It really is something you have to see to believe. And a lot of that lends itself to the good job that Indiana's Department of Natural Resources does keeping this park up, and really all of their parks. I've been to multiple Indiana parks now. Recently, they've been undertaking replacing some of the old restroom facilities at some of the trailheads and picnic areas. The trails are always in amazing condition, and the visitor center, lodge, camp store, and gift shop are always very clean and staffed with very friendly and helpful people. I really can't say enough great things about Brown County. And on that note, we're just about ready to wrap up this episode of Nature's Finest. But before I go, I'm going to introduce a few rituals we're going to get into the habit of. At the end of every show, I'm going to introduce an item that is 100% always in my hiking bag. Now, more experienced hikers might not always be surprised at some of these items, but there are some less conventional things that some of you might not have thought of. Some things that might not be on your average everyday online hiker backpack lists there may be quite a few surprises, uh, especially for less experienced hikers. No matter your experience level, I hope that I might eventually introduce something that you never thought of carrying. Today I'm going to talk about my Quick Clot Kit. Now, they don't even know I exist, so let's not go so far as to call this an ad or a sponsorship. And there's a lot of brands out there, but I've always gone with Quick Clot based on their reputation, which from what I've heard is impeccable. I always have a quick clock kit in my bag, because while a lot of times I'm out on trails that I might not get quite that badly injured, you just never know. And I would hate to be 3, 4, or much less 10, 12 miles from my car and perhaps even further from medical assistance, and not have the proper tools to be able to make it that long. So basically, if you're unfamiliar, this is more of a medical alternative to a tourniquet. And what I mean by that is, this is a medical-grade kind of Temporary fix to a bleeding problem that you need to patch up on the trail. If you are losing blood, if you fell and you hit a sharp rock, or if unfortunately you're hiking and you get lost and you end up on hunting grounds or something, this kit will get you by until you can get to a hospital. It will stop the bleeding just long enough for you to get there or at least minimize the bleeding it is not a cure it is not a do-it-yourself get better by magic type thing but it is something that can help you reduce bleeding for an amount of time that could be long enough uh, to make it to medical services of course hiking is an outdoor adventure and something you do at your own risk so why not be prepared This kit basically adds no weight to your day pack, so to me it's kind of a no-brainer. On that note, we're just about to wrap things up here on Nature's Finest, but I wanted to remind everybody to be careful out there. Whether you're doing a quarter-mile loop with your kids, whether you're solo hiking on the Appalachian Trail or... Anything in between. Wherever you are, be careful. Always follow all of the posted rules and regulations that are in the park, forest, or other natural area that you're visiting. Always know what the level of fire danger is. This is usually posted on signs throughout the park. And pack out your trash. Enter the park with a goal of leaving it just as good as or even better than you found it. I hope I inspired you to explore, but ultimately, this is an entertainment podcast, and as much as I'd like to call myself a pro, I'm not a pro. There's a ton that I'm still learning, and my knowledge could never compare to that of a a ranger or a resource employee at any park or any forest or anywhere that you visit, I always encourage people to call those offices. Ask what to expect. They're so passionate about what they do, they'll have every answer you could possibly imagine. They'll tell you everything about the weather conditions, the trail conditions, and what animals to watch out for. Not only that, but talking about it kind of makes their day. So always do ample research and know what you're getting yourself into. Next time on Nature's Finest, we're going from State Park to National Historical Park. Next time I'm going to take you to the exact same spot, where weary American explorers trying to cross the Appalachian Mountains, roaming wild buffalo, and nomadic Native Americans all stood before you. There's even a sign to designate it. Unreal overlooks, challenging trails, and a rich history, including a remote settlement dating back to around 1900, all make this park the ultimate destination for the avid hiker, backpacker, or history buff. Next time on Nature's Finest, we're going to Cumberland Gap National Historic Site, one of my favorite places on earth. And I'm very excited to share what I know about that park and my experiences at that park, my many experiences at that park with you. Until then, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.